0: Genesis chapter 28, as we are making it our way through the book of Genesis, book of beginnings, and we have a real treat tonight. Chapter 28 is such a great chapter, one of the best chapters in the book of Genesis. Genesis is just loaded with so many really rich stories, and you know, something that I kind of want to start with tonight and really here is uh, just kind of a word as we go into Genesis 28 to keep in mind as we study and I really think this is an important thing to keep in mind whenever you're studying uh, the Word of God and really understanding God's overarching story the big story that is continually in God's plan and God's purposes pointing to Jesus. So uh, we're going to take a look. John 5, John 5, 39 through 40, we're going to read. And that's just kind of how we're going to kick off tonight and kind of keeping that in mind. John 5, or 39 through 40. And this is what Jesus says to the Pharisees. He says, for I've come down from heaven to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the father who sent me. And for all that he has given me that I should lose nothing, but should raise it up in the last days. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last days. And really understanding kind of a little bit in the context of what Jesus is saying really gives us a, a, a really good understanding of the importance of Christ in Scripture. That that really everything you read in the Old Testament, as Jesus said to the Pharisees, you know, you, you search the scriptures as though in them is eternal life, not understanding they point to me. They point to Jesus, the Son of God, coming from heaven to earth for the purpose of redemption of sinful man. That is God's overarching story that we see kind of just lining up throughout the Old Testament as we study the book of Genesis, understanding that really helps bring context to this story that we're going to read about today. And man, chapter 28 really is like, it's like you open a pop-up book. It's like a pop-up book and Jesus just bleeds right through all of these scriptures that we're going to read tonight. So it's going to be a real treat, fun time to study this section of scripture with you guys. And really learn what the Spirit would want to speak to his church and us individually as the Word of God so faithfully does as a sharp two-edged sword. So let's pick it up. Genesis 28, we are studying, as we learned last week, kind of the, the, a little bit more about this man Jacob, considered one of the patriarchs of the faith. Um, as so often you see throughout the Old Testament, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And we're really learning more and more about this character, this man that God chose, God's chosen, Jacob. And in chapter 27, we see a, a really important characteristic to understand about Jacob. And if you were here last week, you understand Jacob to be kind of a manipulator, He's a conniver. He was somebody who really knew how to use his mind to get what he wanted. And last week, Pastor Mike taught on chapter 27 and and really learning more about this character, Jacob. Well, today we get to see kind of more about his story and more about the divine blessing of God upon his life, not because of what he was able to do to manipulate and connive but because God's divine sovereignty over this man and his plans. So let's take a look. Verse one, we're gonna start reading. Then Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, you shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise go to Aram, to the house of Bethuel your mother's father and take yourself a wife from there of the daughters of Laban your mother's brother. And this is Isaac speaking, may God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you that you may be an assembly of people and give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you that you may inherit the land in which you are a stranger which God gave to Abraham. So Isaac sent Jacob away And he went to Padam Aram to Laban, the son of Bethuel, the Syrian, the brother of Rebekah, and the mother of Jacob and Esau. So, as chapter 27 comes to a close, we see after Jacob uh, really deceives his father and Really does something pretty pretty bad to his brother in stealing his brother's um, brother's blessing from his father. Uh, his brother is Esau is just enraged about what his brother has done to him, and we see in chapter twenty seven it's something that he's been holding on to for quite a while that that he has serious. Rage towards his brother because he says this is the second time he has done, uh, done this to me. This is the second time he's done it. And knowing the first time when he took his birthright, when his brother was hungry coming from the field of hunting, this is the second time he's done this to me. And, you know, his brother has been carrying bitterness, and carrying rage towards his brother for quite a while, really because of what his brother has done to him. So in the midst of this rage and anger, he's planning in his heart, right? He's planning in his heart how he's going to kill his brother. And pretty much what he says is, is after my father is dead, I'm gonna take my brother's life and I'm gonna avenge my birthright. And obviously, um, Jacob and Isaac's mother, who uh, Rebecca, who is his, you know, really concerned, she's about to lose both of her sons. And she goes to Isaac and she really gets this, this plan in mind. Let's send him back to where she came from. And, and, and so she presents this to her husband, Isaac, and Isaac then ultimately sends his son out. Um, and says to him, go, do not take a wife from the Canaanites, but go back to ultimately where Abraham was from and go take a wife of the line of Abraham from Abraham's lineage. Now, this is really important to understand from, uh, in understanding God's blessing upon Jacob. See, this is not just a blessing of an heir to an inheritance, if you will. He's not just blessing him in a way to say, hey, all of your father's household is going to be yours and and your older brother Isaac is going to serve you. that's, That's really not the only thing that is of importance here. The greater importance is the blessing of the lineage that was going to come through Jacob. And the lineage to which is ultimately going to bring and usher in Messiah or the Savior, Jesus, to which Jesus came through. And it's really important to understand that he didn't want his son Jacob, the the, the son of the promise, to take of the wife a wife of the Canaanites. Well, now the Canaanites represented idolatry. The Canaanites represented idol worship and were not a pure people. They were not a people of the lineage of Abraham. They were not a people that would carry the line of the Messiah with purity as God had planned, as God had promised in Abraham. So as as Abraham was told to go and to not take a wife of the Canaanites, but go to the land to which he came from to take a wife, so Jacob is too asked and given this same same charge. So in sending his son out and understand this, this is the last um, record that we have of Joseph really speaking to his father so that we know of from what's testified in the scripture this is really a uh, uh, Isaac's last really words to his son Jacob and he really reiterates or pronounces the blessing upon his son the spiritual blessing of Jacob to um really be the, the blessing to which all the nations of the earth were going to be blessed. The, 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 he was going to be the, like I said in, in earlier, he's referred to constantly through the Old Testament as a patriarch, one of the fathers of the faith, because through him, the descendants of the Jewish people came, and the 12 tribes are going to ultimately come through Jacob. And the nation of Israel was going to be established and started through Jacob and his line. And we understand, as you read scripture, Judah was a descendant of Jacob, was a child of Jacob. And through Judah, the line of the king would come and the savior, Jesus. So this is so important as we really understand God's overarching story and why all of this stuff really points to the coming of Jesus as God promised to Abraham, Isaac, and now Jacob. So he sends his son away. He sends his son away with a blessing and reiterates and reminds his son that he is the chosen of God, that God is going to fulfill his covenant. that he made with Abraham with and through Jacob. And again, for for Jacob, this is ultimately the last time he sees his parents. Uh, He just receives all of these blessings from his father, but as we're going to read on, he's now sent on a journey 450 miles away from his home. Uh, This is before public transportation. This is before airline travel, before cars. And he's on this now walking journey 450 miles away from his house to go find a wife because of this promise that was given to his father and his grandfather. So we read on verse 6. Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Bethan Aram to take himself a wife from there, and that he would he blessed him and he gave him a charge, saying, "You shall not take away from the daughters of Canaan." And Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and had gone also. Esau saw that the daughters of the Canaanite did not please his father Isaac. So Esau went to Ishmael and took Mahathel, the daughter of Ishmael, and Abraham's son, the sister of Nebishoth, to be his wife in addition to the wives he had. So Esau, at this point, has Canaanite wives, Okay? And he hears his father's word to his brother. And he understands his brother just received this blessing from his father and kind of is, is, is pondering in himself, well, maybe the blessing is, is, is part of not marrying a Canaanite woman. Well, you know, here's a way that I can gain back favor from my father. Here's a way that maybe I can get some of those residual blessings from my father. I'm going to go and marry another wife. And and I'm going to listen to what my father says, and I'm not going to marry a woman of the Canaanite women. But I'm going to go instead marry a descendant of Abraham. So, I mean, up to this point, it sounds good, sounds logical, but here's the thing. He marries from the line of Ishmael. And as we've been studying through Genesis, we know that... It was not Ishmael that the blessing and God's covenant came through. It was Isaac. So as we see Esau kind of still just his understanding of the blessing of God just very much so fleshy in nature, Um, he is seeking to gain back some aspect of God's blessing and promises, but doing so in the way and the means of the flesh. And we know that Esau was a man after the flesh, right? He gave up his birthright for like a, a bowl of stew, right? To fill his belly, to satisfy his flesh, he ultimately gave up his Birthright and really understanding Esau as really a man after the flesh and his understanding of God's blessing, or the blessing from his father, really much so entangled with and understood in a fleshy way. Now, have you ever? maybe preach the gospel to somebody who, who's just got the veil across their face. You know, it's like everything that they see and understand is very much so just tangible, materialistic, or of the flesh. You know, when, when people don't understand spiritual things because they are spiritually discerned, right, it, it, it's like they try to like understand it logically, or in the way that like, satisfies their flesh, and you end up with things like the prosperity gospel, right? Well, if you just believe in God, he is going to bless you in your flesh, right? You know that is, a, that is trying to understand spiritual things through a fleshy type way. What is in it for me? How do I gain some sort of favor or blessing in my flesh? What's in it for me? How does this satisfy my flesh? And understand this, when we approach God with that mindset, what is in it for me? What is this gain me? We really neglect to understand the purpose of God in bringing glory to himself right? It turns out like you are not the center of the universe. I know, I still struggle with this too. And then when I watch my kids act that way, I'm like, man, where did they learn that from? Because I didn't teach them. And it's something that we in our fallen state all struggle with to the point that we are dead in our trespasses and sin. We all are all about the flesh until the spirit starts to work in our lives. And as we know with Esau, he was not the child of the promise. He was a man after the flesh. And he did not understand the spiritual implications of the promises of God. So he goes and he marries a woman of Ishmael and Esau is somebody who, as we read in in chapter 27, his dad does speak to him and his dad does tell him um, ultimately that there was going to be material blessing upon his life, that he would eat of the the fat of the earth and, and, and the dew of heaven. Um, but it was going to be strictly materialistic. It was going to be strictly after the flesh. And as Jesus says, what does it benefit a man if he gains the whole world? Right? What does it it benefit to just 80 years of our lives? Maybe 90. Maybe you're healthy and you'll live to be 100. But 100 years of your life... All you're doing is just gaining material, material, blessing, and that is all you have to show for. But this is what Esau illustrates. And we read on in Genesis 28, verse 10, we read of now Jacob's journey out Now Jacob went out from Beersheba and he went towards Haran. So as he came to a certain place and stayed there all night, because the sun had set, and he took one of the stones on the place and put it at his head, and he lay down in that place to sleep. Now, picture this he's on this journey. 450 miles away from his house, from everything he knows. He says goodbye to his family. He says goodbye to everything that he had. Right? And all he has at this point is a promise and a rock to put his head. Right? I mean, really think about this for a second. How hard he worked to to deceive and to manipulate, to get what he wanted in this world. And now all he has to show for is a rock to put his head down on. Right? I mean, he is now homeless and, 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 and journeying to a place to which his father sent him. And all he has is a promise. That's all he's got to hold on to is a promise And he's left everything behind. And all he has is a rock to lay his head. Right? And think about this. Right? As we studied the the other chapters prior where he, he takes his brother's birthright, as we study chapter 27, what would God have done if Jacob maybe just waited on God instead of feeling the need that he had to make things happen, right? Like, man, oh man, God's going to really need my help in this situation. Let me make things happen instead of waiting on God to fulfill his promises, Do you think that we would be speaking of Esau in this story as the one that God had chosen if Jacob wouldn't have just taken that real serious uh, consideration that maybe God needs my help and let let me do things that will manipulate the situation? No, because we know that Jacob was chosen from the womb before he did anything it was something he did not have to earn. It was something that he did not receive because of his good behavior. It was not something that he had received because of his, his wise shrewdness and manipulation, but it was because God's divine blessing upon Abraham and his descendants. So now he's in the desert, He's about 35 miles from home. He's been wandering. The sun is setting. And what a sad story this is. It's arid and desert. He can't even find a a piece of wood to put his head on that maybe be a little more comfortable. No, no. The most comfortable thing he could find was a rock. So he came to a certain place, he stayed there all night because the sun had set and he took one of the stones that he had placed and put it at his head and lay down in that place and he slept. Then he dreamed and behold, a ladder was set up on the earth and its top reached to the heavens and there the angel of God were descending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac, the land of which you lie, I will give to you and your descendants. Also, your descendants shall be as the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east, to the north and to the south, and in you And in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. And I will bring you back to the land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have spoken to you. So he's falling asleep on this rock. And as he sleeps, he gets this wonderful vision from God. See, God intervenes. What an amazing picture this is that he receives from God as God speaks to him through this amazing vision. And the vision is he sees what appears to be a ladder as it's translated. And it's a ladder that has angels ascending and descending, but it connects heaven with earth. Now, another way that this can be translated or understood, the picture here is a stone structure with a stairway connecting heaven and earth with angels descending and ascending. And then God at the top of it appears in heaven and he pronounces this blessing upon Jacob. You see what's happening here? Right? God intervened. God showed up not because Jacob manipulated the situation. God showed up because God is faithful to fulfill his promises. God showed up not because Jacob was a good little boy who obeyed his parents, Because, man, Jacob really deserved God's divine blessing upon his life. But God showed up because in his faithfulness, he is demonstrating his grace in Jacob's life. See, as we studied chapter 27, remember this idea that Jacob felt the need to manipulate the situation. He had to take matters in his own hands, what would God have done if Jacob wasn't so faithful to just manipulate the situation? I think of David. Remember the story of David when Samuel shows up to David's household, goes through all of the boys, he gets to David, and he said, yes, that's the one. He anoints him with oil, and he declares him, and he this. this This divine promise that he was going to be the king over Israel. And he did this when he was young. Fast forward years, how many opportunities did he have to kill Saul? To help God to fulfill God's promise upon his life. And he just, I'm not going to put my hands on God's anointed. Right? David waited for God to fulfill his promise. And what did God faithfully do? God took care of it. Right? And ultimately, it was Saul's downfall. I mean, Saul was the one that did it to himself. And let me tell you something as we read about Esau, Esau would have figured out a way, because he was a man after the flesh. That God would have fulfilled his promise if Jacob did not feel the need to intervene. And we see that right here in this story. God intervened. God showed up because God is faithful and the covenant to which he made with Abraham, he was going to see that it was fulfilled. And then that's how he ends this promise that he makes that Jacob would now be the recipient to which the blessing of the covenant of Abraham was going to flow through, that he would see to it that he fulfills all of these things. What a beautiful picture this is of God intervening, of God not needing our help to work out his promises upon this earth and in our lives. So the picture he gets, the vision he gets, is this this ladder or this, this stone structure and a stairwell coming down, and it's connecting heaven and earth. It's connecting God with earth or humanity. See, if you were an Old Testament saint and reading this, you 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 might not quite understand fully what this revelation is or what this prophetic word is, but we are fortunate enough to live after the coming of Jesus. And Jesus brought light to this scripture when he spoke to Philip. And here's what he says to Philip in John one fifty one, if you want to turn there with me. John 1.51 says this, as he, I'm sorry, it was Nathaniel, not Philip, but Philip was earlier. John 1.51, and he said to him, most assuredly, I say to you, hereafter, you shall see heaven open and the angel of God ascending and descending upon the son of man. You see the picture there that Jesus gives us insight to what this picture, this this vision that Jacob received, that God coming to the earth in the person of Jesus, he was going to connect God and humanity as the savior of the world. That when God came into the flesh as the Savior, Jesus Christ, it was through Jesus and Jesus alone that would bring the connection between humanity and heaven. See, in the fall that we read about in the Garden of Eden, that was severed. The connection or the relationship that man had with God We were exiled. Sin broke that connection off. And we were separated from God. Left to our sinful ways. And so what happens later on in Genesis as we're studying is man got a brilliant idea in Babel. Well, let's build a stone structure to God so that we... Can make our way into the heavens. That we can reach God on our own work. And ultimately, that failed. Man cannot reach God after the fall. Sinful man in his sinful state can do nothing. No work will bring man and connect man back to God. But as Esau, or Sorry, as, um, as Jacob gets this vision, as Jesus speaks of the fulfillment of this vision that God needs to intervene and come down to the earth. So these two pictures we get in Genesis of this stone structure, man making their way to heaven and that failing miserably and ultimately God dispersing humanity because of that. And now in contrast, God intervening and God coming down to earth to connect heaven and earth, to connect God and humanity, and to restore what was broken because of the fall. See, it's not something Jacob had to do to reach God. It was something God was going to do to reach down and fulfill his promises through and in Jacob's life. Christ's fulfillment of this promise. See, this is the Bible becoming a pop-up book and Jesus just popping right out of the pages. It points to Christ. It points to the coming of the Messiah. We also see this in John 6.38. John 6.38 For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me that of all he has given me I should lose nothing but should raise it up at the last day. And this is the will of him who sent me that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up in the last day. See, it's this amazing promise that Christ fulfills as he comes from heaven to earth, and that through him, man now has access to heaven and to the Father. And when we put our faith in him, the promise of everlasting life, that in the last day, he is going to raise us all up with him. Ascending and descending from heaven to earth. It's the picture of Jacob's ladder, fulfilled in Christ, and the hope and promise that Christ gave and is brought to humanity. I wonder how blown Jacob's mind was when he saw this vision and not fully grasping and understanding what it meant in its entirety. But let me tell you, he understood enough because the way he responds to this is pretty interesting. Genesis 28, 16 through 22, we're going to read. Then Jacob awoke from this sleep and said surely the Lord is in this place and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob wakes up from this vision, and his mind is just blown. Like, whoa. I mean, like, this is the dwelling place of God. Look how amazing this place is. But as he meets God, as he sees God, as God speaks to him, he responds a couple of ways. And the emotions happening in him are interesting to note that first and foremost, he was afraid. He was afraid. And, you know, he had this reverence of, or, or fear of God after meeting and seeing God. And let me say something to you. When we meet with God, when we hear from God, when God speaks to us, when God reveals himself to us, we typically will respond with a fear of God, a reverence for him and who he is. See, this is the all-powerful God, the all-knowing God. And when we see him and learn of him and experience him, the one thing it will do to us is show us how small and insignificant we are compared to him. And it brings a fear within us and he says that he was afraid. And then he responds, he says, how awesome is this place? When we experience God, it brings awe in us. How awesome is this place? It brings an excitement in him. Something that he did not ever understand or know before. And not only that, but it brought worship. As he, when we read on, he sets up a pillar and makes a vow with God. And he, and he consecrates he makes a commitment to God, a commitment to faith and it brings him to a place of worship you know is is something I would really really encourage everybody that knows the Lord personally if you have a personal relationship with the Lord, one of the greatest blessings in that relationship is The ability to enter in and meet with him whenever we want, right? See, because of Christ, he is connected. He has bridged heaven and earth. Because of Christ, we can enter in. We can meet with God personally. And we can experience relationship with him. And when we sit before him, when we sit at his feet, we are going to grow in our reverence for him, in our awe for him, but in our worship of him. And I would challenge you, church, to sit before the Lord and experience and get to know him as it will transform your life and you will understand him and how big he is and how worthy he is and how awesome he is and how worthy he is of our worship and our faith. So, we see Jacob as he meets with God, as he sees God, as he sees this vision, as God speaks to him, he responds. But it's not just a, whoo, man, this is great. You know, he's not just hooting, hollering, and excited. Man, I'm worshiping God. This is really, really awesome. As sweet as it is to get emotional in our worship and our and being in awe of God. It translates into action. So we see this emotional response, but we also see a physical response of faith in how he chooses to now live his life with the commitment he makes to God. Remember what James says about faith? It's not just a feeling. I will show you my works, or I'll show you my faith by my works. Faith is action. Faith is demonstrated in action. It's not just something we feel, something we say we have, but it's something that is demonstrated in how we live. As we read on, we'll see this commitment or response that Jacob makes to God. Verse 18, Then Jacob arose early in the morning, he took the stone that he had put his head on and he set it up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city had been Luz previously. Then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in this way that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on, so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that you give me, I will surely give a tithe to you. So we see Jacob wakes up. Jacob's recognition of what God has just done and shown him and promised him. And he takes the stone, <laughs> this really interesting stone. I'm, I'm like, I was really meditating on the stone. Like, why is the stone spoken of so many times in this story? And, you know, just something interesting to note. And and again, I I, I can't make the correlation, you know, perfectly, but just interesting to note that, Jesus has been referred to a stone in the scripture and it says that he is the chief cornerstone, right? A cornerstone bridging the gap. It's interesting to note as this picture of Jesus bridging the gap between heaven and earth and God and humanity. But again, what does he do? He takes this this really pathetic stone that was really a kind of a representation of him having nothing and him being homeless and destitute. And that stone, that stone that, that was probably something that he laid his head on and tried to fall asleep, just thinking of, of just the situation he was in. That stone that really represents him having nothing, not even a place to lie his head of comfort. Now turns into this pillar, this pillar, this stone of remembrance that now represents and shows that God's presence is is in this place. And it will be there now forever for all to see and understand what God had spoken to Jacob in this vision, through this dream such an interesting stone. You know, Jesus said that, like, if we don't worship him, the rocks will. Man, this stone is sitting there. (laughs) And it's probably somewhere still out there. I mean, it might not still be a pillar anymore, but, and it is still just representing what God has done. A stone of remembrance for Jacob and the name of the town Bethel. This is God's house here. Man, this place is the gate of heaven. And he refers to it as a gate, right? This vision, this place, it's a gate, a gate to heaven. Right? Can you think of another place in Scripture, maybe the New Testament, maybe the book of John, that that something else is referred to a gate to which humanity needs to enter through? Jesus says, I am the gate. John 10.9, Jesus is the gate, and no man can enter but through him. He is the gate to the Father. He is the gate to heaven. And he is the gate that Jacob sees and understands in this story. Turn with me in John 10, 9. We're going to read that scripture. Man, that is such a great scripture. John ten nine. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and I will go in and out and find pastures. The picture of Jesus, the way of salvation, he is the gate of heaven. He is the gate between man and God and he stood in the gap. He was the chief cornerstone to which salvation came and bridged heaven and earth. And Jacob sets up this pillar, stone of remembrance, with this rock. Names it Bethel. Interesting about Bethel is that Jacob ends up back in this place years later after getting married, as you guys, as as we're all going to study on, after getting married and, and, and getting manipulated by Laban and having to marry two of his daughters and then being successful working with Laban and then finally ending up back years later. And when he comes back to Bethel, God speaks to him again in this place. And there's such significance to this place in the life of Jacob. So in verse 20, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me. So there's actually some debate on how this is translated. And and some say that the more accurate way that it should be translated is because God is with me, he's making this vow, right? Which, again, I think, I think both ways have a little bit of a different application to this section of Scripture. But I think the outcome of Jacob really committing his life to the Lord, that he, in this vision, really experienced God as making this commitment to God is really where it lands either way. But if Jacob truly says, if God would be faithful, then I will make this vow. It's interesting to note that Jacob in his sanctification still has an idea in his head that he has to work to earn God's blessing, right? That, oh, I've got to do something, and if I do something, then God will be faithful to what he's promised to me. Don't we do this too often as Christians? As though what God has done through Jesus and the grace through the cross, we don't need to add anything to Right? And sometimes we get this mindset if, well, if I'm just a good Christian, then God's going to be more faithful to me. Right? And we all have this tendency. The Galatian church had a serious problem with this, so much so that Paul made it a point to say, what begun in the spirit, you're trying to be made perfect in the flesh. As though the gospel or Jesus needs our help. Right? You know, if I do more Christian service, God will be more happy with me. Have you ever thought that way? Like, as though if we mess up, God's going to be less happy with us. And if we do more, God's going to be more happy with us. And we kind of start to create like a moralism and a, and a scale to which how happy or unhappy God is with us, which will determine how faithful God is to fill, fulfill his promises in our lives. And what that does is take away from the promise of the gospel, which is yes and amen, God is pleased with us because of the atoning work of Christ on the cross, not because of what we do. We can add nothing to the gospel. Go to the desert and pray every day of your life, and God will not be any more pleased with you than if you struggle through the Christian life, constantly confessing and repenting of sin right? It's because of Christ's atoning work on the cross. That's the gospel. That's the promise of the gospel. And that's what Christ has extended to us if we put our faith and trust in him. We don't need to add anything to it. God is satisfied because of Christ, not because of our good behavior and not because fulfilling of vows to him. So, but on the flip side, Because God has said this, because God had promised this to me, this is the vow I am making, the picture of a surrendered life to the Lord, the awesome God that he had seen and heard from in this dream. And I do personally like and agree with this translation a little bit better or interpretation of what Jacob is saying here. He met with God and it transformed his life. And it transformed the way that he was gonna live his life from this day on. And when we meet Jesus, there's a call to surrender your life to him and make him the Lord and savior of your life. And it's a call to faith. It's a call to action. And it's not action that merits or gains us the favor of God, but it's a response to the favor and blessing that God has already promised and give to us. And that is the power of the gospel taking root in a heart, a submission of life to him. And he makes this vow And he says some really amazing things here, as he's just committing of himself to the Lord, and even to the point where a guy who has nothing is promising to give ten percent to his God. He's got nothing. He's got nothing. He's like, "I'll give ten percent to you." And at that point, really, all he had was a rock, and he gave all of it, (laughs) made a pillar to the Lord. But as God was going to bless him, this was actually going to be a spiritual principle that you're actually gonna see all the way through the Old Testament and even into the new. Giving of yourself, giving of the increase of God in our lives as an act of worship. He's committing 10%, a tithe to the Lord. And as we study on, we're gonna see God is going to bless Jacob and he's going to be a nation, and they are going to be blessed, and he is going to give of himself because of the vow he made, and the nation of Israel, this time after, or or after him, really established this, this as a spiritual principle and practice that's rooted within their religion. So he makes this vow, and he commits of himself he commits of his goods he commits of what god gives to him and this is truly a man who experienced god that god came down from heaven to earth and revealed himself to jacob you know as As I will share with many people about my coming to faith experience, you know, it, it it wasn't something that like I grew up in a Christian household, my parents told me about Jesus, so like at eight years old, I said, Hey, I want to be a believer because my parents believe and I should be baptized. Like, as much as I wish that was my testimony and my story, instead i more so identify with Jacob. Manipulator conniver who made a mess of everything and was left empty in the wilderness with barely a rock to put my head on. And for whatever reason, God in his grace was like the claw in the video game machine and he had the joystick. And he kept feeding money into that thing until finally he got a hold of me. And that claw came down from heaven to earth and reached out and grabbed me and plucked me out because of the divine promise of Jesus Christ on the cross. He came from heaven to earth to save sinners and the lost and redeem sinful man back into relationship with God, which has been severed since the fall. What a beautiful picture we get in the story of Christ and what an awesome hope and promise this is for all of us. Now, if you're a believer sitting in these seats and you're like, well, I'm already saved. I've already experienced these amazing blessings and promise of God. Let me tell you the truth of the gospel which saved you however many years ago that was is still valid to your life today because the same gospel that saved you is the same gospel that is setting you apart for God's purposes as he consecrates his children. But if you're with us tonight and you have not given your life to Christ, I want to share with you Just as we see insight from the story of the Old Testament that Christ is the fulfillment as the Savior of the world who came to redeem lost and sinful man. Maybe you're destitute in the desert. Maybe you've been trying to work your way to heaven. Maybe you're broken and you're lost where you're just deceived. But what God wants to do is intervene in your heart and your life today and reveal the glory of Jesus as he revealed it to Jacob. And it's as simple as submitting or giving your life to Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that he confesses with his mouth and believes in his heart Lord Jesus will be saved. The Bible tells us that we'll be a new creation, that behold, old things have passed away. You are brand new because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and he has given you that hope and that promise as we put our faith and trust in him. And Mike Dolan's gonna come up and we're gonna close out tonight. It's a simple prayer of faith, a simple prayer of faith in Jesus and the hope and the eternal promise that he gives. So if you have not prayed that prayer and you want to pray that prayer with me tonight, as we all just close our eyes and bow our hearts, would you pray this prayer with me and ask Jesus into your heart? And would you just repeat these words with me, quietly with the Lord, in His ears listening, down from heaven? Just confess that you are a sinner before God, in need of salvation, that you pray to ask and receive Jesus into your heart, and that you want to put your faith in the hope and the promises of Christ, and thank you God for the eternal promise that I don't need to work for, that there's nothing I need to do but trust and put my faith in you, in Jesus' name.